Well, good morning, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. Let's uh, open our time in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new morning and new mercies. Uh, you are so kind to us each and every day as we live under your grace and live on on your world that you have created, and we have the privilege of actually living here for your glory. What a gift that we have received from you. And Lord, we thank you for your divine wisdom that has saved us from our sin through the work of your son, Jesus, on the cross, and you have reconciled us to yourself, but you have not only reconciled us to yourself, you have also reconciled us one to another, as Ephesians tells us. And so there is a sweet reality of being able to have fellowship with you, our creator and the God of the universe. And there is also a sweet reality where we get to enjoy fellowship with each other in the body of Christ, which truly is a gift. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. And as we consider uh, your bride, the church, and how we should think through our participation and engagement, and particularly particularly our, our service in the body. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just work in our hearts as we need encouragement. Lord, I pr pray that there would be affirmation and encouragement from your word where we need uh, recalibration, when we need to change our thinking to align more with yours and our service and participation. I, I pray that that would take place. And uh, Lord, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for these women who do exemplify selfless service in the church so well already. And so what I anticipate and pray is that what we look at today would just be a, a fortifying uh, endeavor on truths that we already know and love, uh, that we would be able to excel still more under your grace. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, hopefully you all received, uh, there was an outline on the table out there and, and have that and put that in your folder. And um, we're going to just jump right into our lesson this morning, and so we have quite a bit to cover, and I, I want to jump into that. We're going to be talking about Discipline 3, the ministry, and particularly serving in the church. And as we've been working through EQ, we've been keeping these core disciplines of the Christian life in front of us, and we know Discipline 1 has to do with your own heart and shepherding your heart before the Lord. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to keep our heart with all diligence, for from it flows the wellspring of life. And the, the central inner man is represented in the heart. And there is a necessity for us to direct our heart towards the Lord where it should go. And if you remember our earlier lesson where we talked about the new man worksheet and what God has done from taking us from this unmixed condition of sinfulness against God, a selfish, sinful disposition depraved, only able to do what is offensive to God, not because we can't do socially moral good deeds, but because we can't do them in a manner that pleases him in our unregenerate state. That's what we were in the old man. And yet for those who are in Christ, they've been taken from that unmixed sinful condition and brought into this, what we find as a, a mixed condition currently where we have new life in Christ, we've been reborn, regenerated, and we can actually serve and glorify God. We're not slaves to sin anymore, but we are actually called to be slaves to righteousness. And we can, by God's grace, please God in obedience. And yet we still live in this flesh and our flesh wages war against us. And so we have to fight sin and we have to intentionally direct our heart towards the things of the Lord. And we can do this with a 
with a confidence of the ability to obtain victory because we know we have God's spirit in us. We have the Holy Spirit and he's working inside of us. And so this discipline one of shepherding your heart is really the core of the Christian life. What, what each one of us has an obligation before the Lord and should desire in our desire to glorify God in all things to pursue and to do intentionally. So the first discipline is discipline one, that we would shepherd our heart. And then as we do that, the sphere of our life that should feel the impact and, and be impacted most by our diligence to shepherd our hearts well towards the Lord is the context of our, of our home, that we need to be faithful within our homes. And we don't want to run around our homes or leapfrog our, leapfrog our homes to go do other things. We don't want to leapfrog our heart and try to spiritually influence our homes, right? That's how you turn into just kind of a, a moral hypocrite when you make standards of how everybody in your home should be acting and functioning, and yet you've neglected your own heart. Um, it's one of those, we don't yell in this family type of thing. You're, you're giving instructions, but you've neglected telling yourself the very thing that you're trying to bring in, into your home. And so your care for your home, the discipline too of shepherding your home or, or caring for your home, being diligent in your home has to be built upon. It will be most effective when it is built upon the discipline of shepherding your own heart. And then as you're shepherding your own heart well and you are impacting your immediate sphere in your home with the word of God and what God is doing in your heart as you live out obedience and holiness to God in response to what he's done in the gospel, well, that should also then impact the sphere of your engagement in your local body and your obedience to God expressed through engagement in the local assembly of believers that you're connected to, the church. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the church in general, looking at the, the theology of ecclesiology. That's the theological term for the church. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church in the New Testament. And so ecclesiology is a form of ecclesia, and it's the theological term, knowledge of the church, um, is, is what that ecclesiology is. And we talked about how the church was formed and God's intention for the church and all of those things. Well, this, this morning we're going to talk about, I almost said this evening, that would have been like the complete opposite of what it feels like right now. Uh, this morning we're going to look at God's intention for his children serving in the local body. And what does that look like? So we're going to see God's design for growth in the body. That's where we're really going to start serving in the church. And we're going to look at God's design for growth and we're going to look at that first bold in your outline, God's design for growth in the church. And we're going to come back to this passage that we keep coming back to because it's really formative. It's really informative for us about how the church should function and what we should be about as a church. For Gilbert Bible Church, this is an incredibly helpful passage. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4. And we're going to see how God's, in his wisdom, his design for the church is that the body causes the growth of the body. We are all ministers in the, in the church. We are all called to minister to one another. Obviously, not are all pastors, and sometimes we conflate those terms. Uh, a minister is a pastor. When I say we're all ministers, I do not mean we're all pastors. However, we all are called to minister to one another, to serve one another, to pour ourselves out for one another's sake. And this is God's wisdom that is unsearchable and uh, um, can't be competed with. It's totally exclusive. God alone has supreme wisdom in all things, and this is his design 
designed for the church. And so read with me Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. Paul says this. He says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. And then he's going to break into this next category and then expound on these. And he says, and some, oh, I lost my place. Some as pastors and teachers. And what are those pastors and teachers given for? To the building up, uh, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So the role of pastors and teachers is to equip the saints for the work of service or the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. And then he's going to tell us more about what he means by this. What's the purpose and how does this take place? Well, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, in contrast to that, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, and there, if you're a, 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 a linguist or a grammar nerd, that whole body is the subject of this clause. So body is the subject. Whole is an adjective. What body? The whole body. So the body, and then you've got these participial phrases, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And then you have the main verb, causes the growth. And so the body causes the growth of the body. For the building up of itself in love. And then you've got these descriptors being fitted together and functioning properly and so forth. And so God in his divine wisdom has made it so that the way that the church grows most effectively is when pastors and teachers are equipping saints for ministry. Saints are practicing ministry one with another. And God uses that where then the body causes the growth of the body. The greatest hope for Gilbert Bible Church is not a charismatic leader who can draw a crowd, thankfully, because otherwise we'd be in trouble. We don't have that. But the greatest hope for Gilbert Bible Church is all of us being obedient to Christ's instruction as we are joined together, being fitted properly in love, exercising what God has given us in sacrificial love and service to one another. That's, that's how Gilbert Bible Church will grow. If somebody, I don't know if people have asked you, How's the church plant going? Anybody not really know how to answer that? We're awesome. <laughs> no, God is so kind. It has been so sweet. It's wonderful. But what should be in our minds? What's the gauge of successful ministry? Are we growing in holiness? Are we serving sacrificially? Are we more than attenders? But are we participants in the body of Christ? And this certainly takes place through consistent uh, attendance of corporate services, but it can't start and stop there. We have to be connected to one another. There's a life-on-life -life engagement that we need to pursue and, and cultivate. So God in his spe has specifically in his wisdom, which the, the wisdom of God is simply this. God chooses the best possible means to bring about the best possible ends. That is God's wisdom expressed. 
God always chooses the best possible means to bring about the best possible ends in every circumstance. And he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. So he actually not only has the perfect plan to get to the perfect end, but he has the supreme power to bring that to pass and does so. And so God, in his supreme wisdom, has designed the church to be the conduit for Christian growth. That's how we grow most effectively, and it occurs by Christians serving one another and being connected in love. And so as we ponder this intention from God for spiritual growth to be most experienced, uh, most expressed through corporate engagement, personal engagement in a corporate assembly of believers, we need to think through some of life's decisions in light of this reality under God's wisdom in the church. Considerations for things like what job you take or your husband takes. What are the commitments that we are participating in? Am I squeezing church into the margins of my life or have I made hard lines that I'm unwilling to compromise when it comes to body life? Do we have all these things that we're willing to do and participate in and engage in and then you know, as it is convenient, we participate in church activities or other things that we've intentionally thought through. These must be priorities in my life, and I will not compromise these things. And so I may have to say no to good things that would be enjoyable to participate in because it's going to be a perpetual competition which, with what I know is the best thing that I should be participating in. Things like time, what you commit to. How much you extend yourself financially can limit your engagement in the body or your participation in giving joyfully and freely to serve others. Uh, what possessions you have, how you interact with those possessions, even things like proximity. There have been many times where people have come and asked for input about body life and they want counsel. I'm going to be moving here. How should I think about that? And that's incredibly sweet. There's other times when people just kind of go and they have a house that they want and the size that they want it. And there's a certain area where they're able to obtain that. And they uh, just kind of think, hey, I'll figure, I'll figure out body life. An hour drive, that's no big deal. This is the dream house. We can't get this house otherwise. And they go and they buy that house. And you know what? We've actually had times where people maintain exemplary participation in the body of Christ. And it's incredibly sweet. Although they, every time they find themselves not being able to express hospitality in the way that they desired when they're that far out because it's just hard for people to drive an hour to come spend time with them. And conversely, most of the time, people that move that far away and go, it'll be okay, we'll work out an hour drive, they find themselves disheartened and discouraged because it's a, an additional burden to go over to somebody's house for an hour and a half. It's a three and a half hour event. It's just harder to uh, manage that kind of participation and so even thinking through what good is a 5,000 square foot house that only you are in all the time? I mean, for, for the believer, that, that would be, that seems like that would be really lonely. <laughs> and, and, and so thinking through these decisions, I, I know of somebody even recently at another church who um, they really wanted to buy a house and the, they thought this will be a really prudent thing financially to get into a house. And they bought one in Maricopa and are finding themselves changing churches from the church that they loved and were growing at because it was just too difficult to, uh, to maintain the fellowship that they desired. So thinking through these things is important. Uh, 
pondering how the decisions that we make practically in life impacts our ability to engage and participate in the Bible, or in the Bible, in the church, is, uh, is, uh, is crucial and is important to give consideration to. And it's really important to give consideration to into the reality that every believer should desire to be fruitful for the Lord. So we shouldn't ever be content to be distant from the church and just say, hey, I'm content with my spiritual life right now. I don't know that I need to make growth a priority. I'm feeling pretty good about things. I've been saved by God's grace. Um, my conscience is cleansed. I'm not under condemnation. I kind of want to live the way that I want and don't want to have to make these things a priority. I'm, I'm okay with my spiritual maturity. Well, listen, that's not God's intention for his children. And that's act, that disposition is actually not a disposition that believers should have. That's, that's, an, that's a disobedient disposition to be content with your holiness until you're glorified. <laughs> Once you're glorified and sin no more, be content with your holiness. But until then, we should strive to grow ever more in holiness to be pleasing to the Lord. Turn to John 15. John chapter 15. Jesus puts forth very clearly this reality, kind of in rapid-fire succession, the reality that believers are called to bear fruit, and a believer should desire and long for this. Uh, John 15, start in verse 1, and we're just going to kind of popcorn a, a few verses here. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And then verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And then jump to verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And we see the importance of having fellowship with Jesus and drawing near to him. And then jump down to verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. An expression of the reality of our salvation, an expression of the reality that we are disciples of Jesus, is that we do bear fruit. And so when we're thinking about the body causing the growth of the body, that idea should be exhilarating to the heart of the, body, uh, of the believer. That should be compelling to the heart of, of the believer. There can be spiritual growth. I want to grow. I want to produce fruit. I want to express my salvation through obedience to Christ in a way that is pleasing and honor to him, honoring to him. And so for the believer, they press forward in obedience, seeking to bear fruit for the glory of God. Now, as we think about this desire to bear fruit and to see growth in the body, I think it's helpful for us to consider what would God have our motivations be? Did this turn off? still check 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 still going it just felt like it got quiet for a minute that's what i was wondering can you guys still hear me can you just double check the live stream maybe make sure it's still coming through or the recording okay so considering the proper motivations for service in the church when i'm thinking through how to serve in the church whether it be formally or informally and we're going to talk about both of those things in a little bit what are some heart motivations that I should consider? Well, 1 Peter 4, verse 7 is really informative. As Peter says, the end of all things is near. And when he says the end of all things is near, what he's saying is not the 
the culmination of everything and, and all existence is going to end. But what he's actually saying is the end or the purpose that God intended in the gospel to bring things to their fullness so their fruition is near. And what he's really getting at is Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. What, what all of creation is screaming towards right now under God's divine providence where Jesus will return and establish his throne on earth and rule and reign and set right the wrongs that we cause in our sin in this world. He's going to reverse the curse through his divine reign, reign on earth, and then there will be a day coming when this earth passes away and we will enter into the eternal state and the new heavens and the new, new earth. And listen, that day is coming. It's near. And so don't live with laxity. Get to work. Be intentional. I remember maybe, maybe you guys experienced something like this growing up in your home, but there were instances where my mom would leave me and my siblings home alone and give us a task list of things to do before she got back. And what did we always want to know? How long is she going to be gone? Oh, I don't know. Hour, hour and a half, two hours, two and a half. If it was something like two, two and a half hours, what would we do? We'd get to work on that task list right away, get it completed with, no. We would procrastinate, and all of a sudden, we'd be looking at the clock and be like, she could be home any minute. We got to get to work! And it was like frantic getting to work. We should have that disposition in our obedience to Christ, in our desire for holiness. We're going to see in, I don't know, it's, it may be a while. It's at the end of chapter 3 of Philippians. But in, in a bit, we're going to see Paul talking about how he labors for holiness so that he can get his, he talks about attaining to the resurrection. And so he's trying to get as close to holiness as he can in this life as he anticipates his resurrected state where he sins no more. As, Jesus, as John says in 1 John, when you see Jesus, you will be like him. So the thought of being in glory only makes a zeal to want to get to that day as much as possible now. I, I want to be pleasing to God. I want to put off everything that is offensive to him. Everything that is sinful. And so recognizing the imminence of the end is going to be an incredibly helpful motivator. Jesus is coming. He could return at any point. Get to work on your sanctification. Get to work on your obedience. And Peter actually specifically talks about serving using your gifts and serving in the strength that God provides. And for those who speak, speak the utterances of God. Don't look to your own wisdom or your own ingenuity to try to navigate these things. Go, go to God's word. What has God spoken? Well, what are some other motivations for service in the church? Well, certainly love for God. This is the greatest commandment, that we love the Lord your God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is what Jesus says. And so when we think about proper motivations for service of the church, we, we must cultivate a love for God, a desire for him to be glorified. And this will help help us discern even our own motives. If, if we were all to just serve in the church out of love for self, that will direct us towards just a church of hypocrites, pharisaical hypocrites. We're just serving because we want something. We want we fear man. We want esteem. We want something else. But if we can cultivate dispositions where we're serving out of love for God, that's going to flow out in humility and obedience and godliness and selflessness. And joined with that, you, you see these commands really inseparable as Jesus 
as Jesus talks about them in the Gospels, that the Christian is called to love God and love others. Love God and love others. Our love for one another. In fact, the, the most prominent expression of our discipleship under Jesus, of our love for Jesus, is our love for one another. And so cultivating and pursuing an intentional love for God and love for one another to, to serve in the church, that, that will purify our motives in our service for the church as we recognize Christ's imminent return and out of love for God and love for one another, we humbly seek to benefit and bless one another in obedient service to Jesus. It's important to understand it. It's not humility to think that your service to the church doesn't matter. That, that's not humility. That's actually pride because you're disagreeing with God. God says our service matters. It may be pride to think you're a big deal that you're God's gift to the church. That's different than going, God in his wisdom works through me despite me. And so I'm going to humbly obey and be engaged and trust God to do, to do what he pleases in my service. But to say, you know, I'm really tired. I, I don't have anything to offer. Nobody's going to miss me if I'm not at fellowship group. I'm just going to stay home. Nobody will miss me anyway. It's not, it's not like I'm really do that much. That, that's actually an arrogant mistrust in what God says. He says he has gifted you. He says he causes the growth through the body being engaged with one another, functioning in selfless love. Every single believer has the spirit of God inside of them, has been gifted for the benefit of the body. And shame on us if we disagree with that. Or think that our engagement is unnecessary. It's also arrogance to think that you don't need it. I don't need to be around other believers. I'm good with where I'm at. God's not yet. And he has intention to grow and to mature you through close proximity with other believers. So... Proper motivations for service in the church. Recognizing the imminence of the end, Christ could return at any time. Love for God, love for one another. Also love for Christ to be known by the unbelieving. And that's from John 13, 35. I referenced it just a few moments ago that the, the fact that we love one another is an indicator to the world that we are Jesus' disciples. And so as we function properly within the church, extending love and humble service of one another for Christ's sake, it is a testimony to the onlooking world the way that we care for one another. And then rewards. And that might sound funny, but it's, it's absolutely true. We should all desire more crowns to cast at Jesus' feet in eternity. And if you turn to 2 Corinthians 5, Second Corinthians 5, we see this expression of a, of a judgment before God for the Christian. And it's true that there are actually multi, multiple judgments. There's the great white throne judgment that we see in Revelation, which is a judgment for all unbelievers as this heaven and earth pass away and God transitions us into the eternal state. And at that point, all unbelievers of all time will come before the the great white throne judgment seat before Jesus, and they will be judged and according to their deeds and cast into the eternal lake of fire. 
That's a, judge for un, a judgment for unbelievers. There's also what's referred to as the bema seat judgment. Again, a, a Greek word there that we'll see in this text. When we see judgment seat, it's a bema seat is what that's called. And it's just the Greek word for a, a judgment. And this is a judgment for believers. And this is where believers are judged, not unto condemnation, but in regards to how they stewarded what God entrusted them in this life, whether for good or bad. And there are rewards. There's a judgment of rewards for the believer. And so look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear, and he's talking to the believers there. So when he says we, that's reference to believers, not, not all of mankind, but in the context. For we must all appear, all believers, before the judgment seat, that's the bema seat, of Christ. Why? So that each one may be recom recompensed for his deeds. Recompensed. There we go. Woo. Recompensed for his deeds in the body. Interesting. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. There is a judgment of rewards for believers and how they conduct themselves in this life. And so it's not bad. It's not selfish to say, I want rewards from God in eternity, and so I'm going to be obedient to Christ. That's not a, a selfish ambition. If you're going, I'm going to be obedient to Christ because I want, I want what this world can offer me, well, that's probably impure motives there. Whatever the rewards are that await the believer in heaven, you should want them. That's, those are good things. That's a good motivator. I want to please my master. I want to stand before Christ and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Why would we want to hear anything but that? Of course we want to hear that. Those are some motivators. I'm sure that you could come up with additional ones that would be helpful to you, but those are some, some key ones that I wanted to put before us this morning. I want to also talk about some hindrances to usefulness in the body. Some hindrances. What are some hindrances or obstacles to our usefulness in the body of Christ? The Spirit of God, he wants to use the believer for his purposes and wants to produce fruit in our lives. However, if sin overtakes our lives and becomes patterned, patterned in our lives, we actually squander the fruitfulness of our service. And so to think that our own fleshly indulgence in private does not impact the body, that is just foolishness. Fleshly distractions, they must be starved out in our lives in order to put ourselves in the position of maximum blessing in our obedience to Christ. And when we do this, this blessing for, from God is upon us individually as we walk in holiness, but in so experiencing the blessing of God individually, it extends likewise to the body. And so where we neglect wickedness and entertain wickedness, that will have an impact on the body. And where we put it to death and pursue holiness, that will have a positive influence on the body. Turn to 2 Timothy 2. If you were in 2 Corinthians still, go to the right to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 22. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 19, 
Paul says, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who those who are his and everyone who names the name of the Lord, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. That's a call for each one of us in Christ. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Your spiritual growth and putting aside wickedness enhances your usefulness to the, ma to the master, puts you in that category of a vessel for honor, and actually gives you a readiness for every good work, for every good work. Not everybody in the body of Christ is going to serve in the same capacities and in the same ways. There's varying giftedness. We're going to talk about this in just a few moments. And we should be content with the varying giftedness. But whatever task at hand that's needed to be accomplished, we should never be content with us not being the right person for the job because of deficiency in character. And when Julie and I talked about this quite a bit early on when we were interacting with the elders about the prospect of pastoral training and if that was appropriate for me and if that would be a benefit to the church and how to think through those things together. And as we were talking with the, with the pastors, we didn't know what would happen on the backside of seminary when I was entering into seminary. And, and we certainly didn't expect that completion of seminary equals pastoral ministry. I wasn't even sure at that point if I was gifted for pastoral ministry and what that would look like. I wanted the elders to speak into that. that that's not something I ever desired to be a, an independent determination, but I, I, I wanted to hear and I wanted to have most heavily weighed the input of my elders. Um, but what Julie and I resolved in the decision to go into seminary is whether or not pastoral ministry is what lies ahead. I don't want to be unfit for a need in the body because of negligence of character. So let's pursue what we think will promote the greatest holiness in the coming years and let God direct from there what that, how that would be manifested in the greatest service to the church. And so putting aside wickedness, taking sin seriously, don't be content with these little side pockets of sin that you know exist in your life. And well, I'm just a work in progress. And so someday I'll get to that sin or, you know, look at all these other ways that I've grown this sin. I, it's just, it's not worth the fight or the struggle. No, every sin is worth the fight. Pursue holiness, remove obstacles to your usefulness for the Lord by putting sin to death. What's another hindrance to usefulness in the body? And the, these three points, they're, they're really overlapping and related. You probably won't experience one without experiencing another and won't experience another without experiencing the other. But laziness, laziness. Our, our culture is obsessed with not working hard, not being diligent, with constant vacations and getting away and me time and pain-free living and convenience and what's easy and what's accessible. And so laziness can be an incredible hindrance to our usefulness in the body of Christ. It'll get taken care of. Somebody will do it. Somebody will take care of it. No. Why not experience the joy of being the one to step in and serve 
and help and care and extend yourself. Julie and I have led a, a fellowship group or small group before at Grace Bible Church for many years. And uh, over, over 18 years or something like that of leading a, a small group, I can't tell you how many, how many nights when we did not want to host small group in, in the moment. It's just been a crazy day and, and we'd have conversations. If we weren't hosting, I don't think we'd go. And then everybody comes over and we have small group and we go, oh, that was just what we needed. That was just what we needed. What a blessing. What an encouragement. If we had given in to laziness, we would have missed out on so much more. So the trick is just commit to where you have to be there. And no, it's, <laughs> but where there's laziness in your life or a tendency to somebody will take care of it. Or especially if there's a tendency of I've got these tasks that I think I'm qualified for. And there's these tasks that I'm overqualified for. There's just anything we get to do for Christ is a privilege that we're not qualified for in and of ourselves. We just don't deserve to do anything for Christ. And so to get to do anything is a privilege and a blessing. And that flows right into selfishness, that we are actually directly in instructed to not do anything out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves. That's to be the ongoing disposition. And so a hindrance to usefulness in the body is not only unaddressed sin that we're that we're content to entertain and continue in, in our lives, not only laziness where we just don't want to do stuff, but also selfishness where we're fixated on ourselves. And laziness and selfish, I mean, selfishness, they really go hand in hand. We, you're not going to be lazy unless you are fixated on yourself. And when you're fixated on yourself and being served, you typically will be lazy. So those are some hindrances to usefulness in the body of Christ. Well, now I want to talk about AIDS. So not, not only are the, what are the proper motivations, and now in light of the proper motivations, what are things we should put off? I want to talk a little bit about what are things we should put on. And these are really just converse principles from the hindrances that we just talked about. Uh, in putting off wickedness, we should desire to actively pursue spiritual growth. So we are under Roman numeral four, aids to maximizing your usefulness in the body. Is, are we all together? Excellent. We're called to exercise our gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. We see that in Ephesians 4, 7. And according to the proportion of your faith, we see that in Romans 12, 6. And so in doing this, we should actively pursue spiritual growth. We should desire sanctification. And we go back to the 2 Timothy 2, 21 verse. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. We should desire that. And so that comes through intentional sanctification. It will enhance our usefulness to the master. And if you think, I, I don't really see that much of a difference, well, then you're disagreeing with God because this is what God has said. Your usefulness, your preparedness is founded upon your cleansing of yourself from sinfulness and when Paul talks about cleansing yourself, it's just our role in the sanctification process. And we also, as we talked about in the Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. And so there is an obligation and a responsible 
responsibility for the believer to actively and intentionally pursue sanctification. We got to get to work. Cleanse yourself. Put off the deeds of the flesh. Put on the fruit of the spirit. And when you do that, to whom gets the glory? Christ. Because it's him who is at work at you in that. That's his spirit at work in your life. And so to actively pursue sanctification or to say cleanse yourself is not to minimize the grace of God or, or meant to motivate us to act independently of God's graces or God's power in our sanctification, but rather the evidence of the fact that God is at work in us when we pursue godliness. Well, what's another aid to maximizing your usefulness in the body? Rejoice in God's sovereignty over the gifting of the body. Well, why? Because God determines the diversity in the body, and he has in his wisdom intended to have diversity in the body. We're members of one another. Not every part of the body is the same. Not every part functions the same way. We do not need clones of Anne Angstead. But boy, do we benefit from Anne Angstead. We do not need clones of me. Hopefully you benefit. I believe God that you benefit from my participation in the body. And each one of you, we've been gifted and we, we've been connected one with another for the benefit of the body. And not every member is the same and that's good. And, and so in that, as you cultivate a recognition and a joy in this reality, it puts to death competition or envy or discontentment where we long... Why, if only I could have been gifted like that person. If, oh, I wish I could be hospitable like that person. Oh, I wish I had the wisdom of this person. Why are they being asked to do that? Why, why wasn't I asked to do that? Th those kinds of attitudes are put to death when you say, I want to see every member thrive in how God has wired and equipped it and gifted them in this body. And I want to be faithful to do so as well. We're spiritual relatives. We're connected to one another. We're a family, individual members of one another. We're interlocked with one another and attached to Christ as our head. And God calls us to function in light of this within the body in our diversity. So we don't need to be clones. We don't need to be just like everybody else. We need to be godly. We need to be obedient. We need to be loving. We need to be sacrificial. God gives gifts as he pleases. We should rejoice in this. Give thanks to God for this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And thank you for bearing with me as we jump around a lot. This is sharpening all of our sword drills. That's next, next uh, session. No lesson, just sword drills. Winner takes all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We each have giftedness from the Spirit of God for the common good of the body. That we're to use and we're to exercise to build up and encourage one another in the Lord. Jump down to verse 11. 
But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. If we're discontent with our giftedness, we're discontent with God. This was so helpful for me when I started leading music at Grace Bible Church uh, about 20, 20 something years ago, 21 years ago. I was so happy to serve and so eager to serve. And there was a need. And I joke that the only way that I got on the music team, much less um, got to lead it, was because there was we were just in a season as a church where there was literally nobody else. <laughs> and it was easier to have me join than to uh, kick me off. So I got to keep serving, which I am thankful for. But I had some serious moments of wrestling with the Lord in my own discontentment with my talents and capacities. God, are you, I, I don't. I don't sing good. <laughs> you, I don't think this is what's best for the body. Well, there's a need, and my elders are saying that I should serve, that there's a blessing to the body when I serve this way. I need to trust the Lord with that. Be content with that. Don't be discontent with how God has gifted you. Exercise it. Whatever he's given you, be faithful. Put it to work for his glory, for the body's good. So rejoice in those things as God gives gifts as he pleases. And we should cultivate contentment with this. And then recognize the interdependence within the body. We are connected with one another, joined with one another. For the body is not one member, but many. This is God's intention. We just looked at that in 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. The body parts have different functions. No part of the body can say to another, I have no need for you. Look down at verse 21 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Uh, to think that we can live independent one of another. There's just no category for that in the church. There's no, as Smed says back at Grace Bible Church, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. We're connected to one another. We're to be joined to one another. And even our disposition to one another should recognize God's wisdom expressed through the interdependent relationship that we all experience in the body of Christ. We need one another. And so we don't minimize one another's servants. We don't demean one another. We don't separate ourselves from one another because eh, I just really don't like their personality. They annoy me. Really? What does that reveal about what you think about God's wisdom in joining us together in the body of Christ? No single individual is God's unique, comprehensive gift to the body, making others needed. And at the same time, God's wisdom is that we're all joined together and that maximum growth occurs when we are joined together as such, serving one another as God intends. And so we don't wish for some other kind of gifting or function than what we have. <coughs> excuse me, um, or begin to imagine that, that we can't be useful, that we don't have a purpose or we don't have a, a, a part in the body of Christ. Each part of the body of Christ is vitally important regardless of the role. That's how God has designed it. And then B, under recognize the interdependence within the body, the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary, beneficial, and to be honored. This is so helpful. Look at verse 22. Paul says, On the contrary, it is much 
truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members must become more presentable. What is Paul getting at here? Well, typically the visible areas of service are the ones that are esteemed. If you teach or lead or are recognized more visibly, that's typically considered a a more honorable area of service. And those that serve in the body more invisibly, behind the scenes, doing what we would call mundane or medial tasks, they are typically viewed as, as less honorable, the less visible areas of service. And what Paul is getting at here is those who are faithful in less visible areas of service should actually be honored for their humble and visible service in the church. Tyler, Azeltine, for years, for years, served in setup and teardown. Nobody knew. In addition to a multitude of other ways where he just serves faithfully and invisibly so. He should be honored. Men like that should be honored. No task was above him. I remember walking into Grace Bible Church one morning and a child had lost their cookies on the uh, rug in the entryway. And you know who's on his hands and knees cleaning it up? Tom Angstead. No task is above us. Not each one of us. And those that serve in invisible ways aren't to be demeaned or, or viewed as less necessary Listen, the the person who cleans the bathrooms after church and takes out the trash, that person's to be honored. Praise the Lord for their selfless, godly service to this body. So we honor those individuals. We bestow honor to them. We're thankful for them. We recognize everyone's usefulness in the body of Christ And the desire to bear fruit and see fruit born in this church should make us eager to be connected to one another. We're all peers in the body, no matter what God has given us to do. We're all peers in the body, no matter what God has given us to do. Jesus Christ alone is the head of his church. And this is important to recognize, even with elders, elders have a stewardship as under shepherds for Christ, but becoming an elder does not remove you from also still being a sheep. I am a sheep and Tom and Tyler function as my elders. Tom is a sheep in this church. Tyler is a sheep in this church. And, and so we are simply under shepherds of the good shepherd, but we all have an obligation to be faithful in our service, to do what God has called us to do, recognizing that Jesus alone is the head. We're peers here. Well, as we ponder these aids and these hindrances and these motivations, I want to talk a little bit about just practically, how do I know where to serve? How do I know where to serve in the church? (laughs) Well, first, look for needs to meet. Within the diverse body of Christ. So we're on Roman numeral five. How do I know where to serve? There are always a variety of needs in the church, both formal needs and informal needs. And one is not to be esteemed more highly than the other. If you are serving in formal ministries, that's great. That doesn't get you off the hook from the call to serve informally in your engagement in the body as well. And there may be seasons where the extent of your service is informally, and you might be in a season where it's unwise to commit formally to one 
particular ministry. It's ideal when you can do both, when you're committed and participating in formal needs and you're also participating in body life and serving others just as part of the body connected with one another. There's always a variety of needs, and the needs are as varied as the people. They vary as much as life and circumstances and trouble and trials and joys and sorrows and ministries and programs and what's going on within the church. And God is doing something in each person's life in the church, in Gilbert Bible Church, and so we want to help them in the areas in which God is working. We want to be aids to one another's sanctification. We want to advocate for one another's holiness in our selfless service one to another. And so determining where the greatest needs are it really needs to be by being connected to one another. You're going to know the needs of this church as you're in close proximity. That's where it starts. Be involved. Be engaged. Ask. Be intentional in body life. You'll know the needs within the body much better when you're connected to the body. It was so encouraging when we sent out the survey. I've mentioned this before as to just, we were starting up every ministry fresh and wanted to gauge where people wanted to serve. And so many of the responses included two or three or four or five areas with the statement at the end, or wherever there's a need. <laughs> and what a sweet disposition to have before the Lord. My service is not my own. I want to be a blessing. Where are the needs? That's where I want to be driven to serve. When you walk into fellowship with the body, you should seek to meet people, to talk to them, to intentionally learn their needs, to hear what God's doing in their lives, to seek to meet those needs. And, and this isn't really predicated on a personality. And I understand there are people who have different propensities and things that they're comfortable with, but the extent of our service isn't to be grounded on what we are or aren't comfortable with. We're called to obedience. We're called to selfless love. And so, you know what? Having a short conversation with a new person might be a huge expression of sacrificial service for some, and it might come more naturally for others. But we should seek to serve one another, to love one another, to be engaged with one another. When we think about informal service in the body, participation in fellowship groups is so helpful because you get to hear what God is doing in one another's hearts through his word and you get to hear how the, those people are praying and how you can pray for them and you get to hear how they're fighting sin and and how you can aid them in their fight against sin and you get to hear how they're seeking to build the kingdom through intentional evangelism of the lost and you get to pray for those people and encourage them in their sharing and you get to have a proximity with them that when they're experiencing life's sorrows, you can come alongside and care for them. And when they're experiencing life's joys, you can rejoice with them. So be intentional in body life. Have a close proximity. Also remember the biblical motivations. I'm not serving to fulfill my internal desires or to express my perceived talents. That's not the driving motivator. I feel most fulfilled when I'm fill in the blank. We should be watchful of that kind of attitude where our service is predicated on our own desires being fulfilled, our own fulfillment being experienced. The true motivator is love for God, love for his people, love for his church, where we go, where can I pour myself out in a way that's a blessing to others? And where the rubber meets the road there is, do, do you believe that what Jesus says, that it's more blessed to give than to receive, is true? 
Because if you think it's more blessed to receive, you're going to serve where you think you get the most out of it. And if you believe Jesus' words, you're going to serve where you believe your giving of yourself most benefits others. And so don't seek to serve to fulfill your own internal joys and desires. The nice thing is, Many times where we experience most joy in service is actually where there's needs and where it blesses the body. That's, that's wonderful when that happens. If we like serving, we shouldn't feel guilty. Oh, I'm serving in the wrong way because I really enjoy this. No, that's not what we're saying here. But if you're saying, I'm not willing to do this task, 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 but I really like this, that, that's a revealer of wrong motivations. You can trust God in serving. You can trust God where you serve. You can trust God where the needs are. You can trust God that it's better to give than to receive. Well, as we wrap up this morning, I want to talk just for a moment about my heart, my family, and my church. How, should, how much should I do? How do we discern this? Because we've really seen from God's word, and I've pressed home this morning, the, the importance of serving intentionally and actively. How do I gauge how much to do? And how do I gauge that in light of the needs of caring for my heart before the Lord and shepherding my family? And when is too much commitment too much for my family? And how do I navigate these things? And really, there's some principles that we should consider. And there's a reality that everybody's capacity, season in life, needs within their homes, all of those things are going to be different. And so there's not a one-fits-all answer. This many hours, this many ministries, this many things. But there needs to be some discernment in applying these principles as we navigate our participation in the body of Christ. So, how much should I do? Well, what's driving your reluctance to do more? Is it personal selfishness or is it stewardship of that under your care? How are you structuring, structuring the whole of your life? What have you committed to? There have been times where Julie and I have found ourselves overcommitted to other things, and it made ministry in the church more challenging. And we had to go, whoops, let's kind of watch for that. Maybe we shouldn't commit to so many different things at once. And so thinking through, what have I committed to, and how is it being balanced in the whole of my life? If you're married consulting with your spouse about how you're serving and how am I doing in my faithfulness in the home? Are there things that you wish I was doing better? can be a helpful discussion. If you've signed up for five different areas of formal ministry in the church, but the house is a complete mess, the kids are months behind in their schooling or not being faithful in their homework, you might want to have a, a reconsideration about how much you're committed to formally in the church or if there's other areas that need to be addressed as well. How much should I do? How much should I be involved in? It's really going to require wisdom and discernment working with others to come to a decision. You can include leadership in this decision. Hey, I, I know there's a need. I'm trying to navigate. Here's what my life looks like. Here's what I think I could commit to. Well, what are your thoughts? Do you think I'd be able to do that well within the needs within the church in light of these things? Then I want to talk lastly a little bit about the relationship of D2 and D3, discipline two of, of our family and our church. And I think this will help shine some light on maybe how to think through our various commitments in the body of Christ. <coughs> I've heard it uh, 
I've heard it represented in light of shepherd my heart, shepherd my home, participation in the church, where care for your home needs to come before participation in the church. That's not the intention of not leapfrogging discipline two for discipline three. We're commanded, regardless, to be engaged in the body of Christ. Where leapfrogging happens is when, what I mentioned, you're overcommitted in formal ministry positions or informal ministry positions, and you're neglect neglecting faithfulness in your responsibilities in the home. So, for example, let's say you've scheduled sporting events, recreational activities, uh, a short getaway as a family, and you find yourself, we've had a movie night, we went and saw a new movie that came out, we got together with friends, and now we're eight nights of obligations, and it's fellowship group night. <sighs> I am so exhausted. We just really need some time as a family. We're going to stay home and watch a movie together. Because we don't want to neglect discipline to the home. I think, depending on maybe some specifics of the situation, that not neglecting discipline to is demonstrating to your family the importance of body life and going when you don't feel like it. And then restructure your next few days to make sure that you can have the time that you think you need. There absolutely are times where, depending on the needs of your family, you don't participate in a specific formal ministry within the church and you stay home. That's understandable. That happens. But to think, I need to get my family in order, and so I'm going to put the church aside until I do this, may unintentionally communicate that you think very little about the importance of the church. Maybe what your kids need when you're exhausted at the end of the day and you've been addressing the same things over and over with them and other things have come up that divide for your attention and you just want a night to yourself, they see, wow, mom's exhausted. We pushed her to the limits and she's going to go care for other women. Wow, the church is important. Service is important. That's shepherding your home. And so thinking through service in the church, there are considerations to make sure we can be faithful with what God's entrusted to us that we must take. But we also can't rush to say, I'm going to not participate in the church because I need to care for my home as a cop-out to minimize the importance of what God wants to do in us and through us in the local church. So it's important to understand the relationship of discipline two and discipline three. Oftentimes, our best care for our home is to show the importance of intentional engagement in the body of Christ. And we shouldn't lead Bible studies and lead groups and lead ministries and direct others and overextend ourselves and at the same time, never talk about the Lord in our home, never pray, never read our Bibles. No, we need to, we need to be consistent in those things. And engagement in the body will actually be an incredible aid in moving us towards faithfulness in our home. And so where there's opportunities to engage and serve and build up and be built up, we should seek to do so. If you're wrestling through that, how, how much should I, and I think this will be good for your discussion groups even to talk more, how, how do you in specific situations navigate how much to commit to? Well, um, it's good to talk about, and, and if you're working through that, I feel overcommitted. I feel like I don't do enough. I feel like it's just right. It's good to just let that be an ongoing discussion 
And things change. Capacities ebb and flow in different seasons. And sometimes it's just being content with what, with what the Lord has for you in that season. Before we uh, break into groups, any questions, comments? Okay, I will, uh, I will pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wisdom in saving us through the blood of Christ, reconciling us to yourself. Thank you for the new life that we have in him. Thank you for the joy that it is being part of the body of Christ. Thank you for these women who just really exemplify in so many ways selfless service and intentional engagement in the body of Christ. And thank you for the way that you are growing and building up Gilbert Bible Church, even in, in, its, in its short history. Um, it's just such a blessing, such an evidence of your grace, such an encouragement. Help us to press on all the more for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.